I think most people would rather die than change. I think most business owners, many of them, change is such a scary proposition that they'd rather ride the business down, knowing it's failing, than actually commit to change and try to save it. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for face-to-face learning, network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, fitness consultant and mentor Thomas Plummer discusses the S-curve for your business generalists versus specialists, modern hybrid training gyms, why you need to destroy your business model to save the business, and a whole lot more with the fitness industry podcast's Oliver Kitchingman. You might not like everything he says, but he'll certainly make you think. Thomas, thank you for joining the fitness industry podcast. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thomas, you've been in the fitness industry for over 40 years now. So, I mean, you've seen a lot of things change in that time. I mean, it's completely transformed. Yet you're saying that now is a time of real chaos for the industry. How so? I've been around long enough to actually go through most of the history, which is uh, when we talk about things changing, a lot of the people in the, the workshops, they look at you and go like, Who's that guy? You know, who made that equipment like yeah. 30 years ago? So you're, if you're around enough to see the companies come and go, the, you see people get destroyed. You see giant chains that are sold or disbanded, like Bally's. Bally's was one of the biggest gym companies mm-hmm. in the world at one time. Yeah. Was the biggest one and gone just completely. A couple of years ago, they shut their last five units. Mm-hmm. When you see the history stretched out like that, there's always patterns. Right now, it's we're at the point where. There's a, a bunch of cool factors coming together that's created, I think, complete chaos in the business. And in my lengthy career, sad to say that, you didn't have to remind me of the 40 years. Thanks, Ollie. I appreciate that. But in the, my 40 years out there, I, I've never seen anything like this that is absolutely so disruptive. And it's going to have such major consequences for the future of the industry. So what is, what is the main thing that's causing this chaos? If you look at the mainstream fitness business, and we define that as the giant boxes with the sea of equipment on the floor, group exercise rooms in the corner, old school aerobics, so to speak, you know that that model that's been going on for decades. That there's a strong case to be made that that model's failing, and for many reasons. If you're a business student, you probably have grown up hearing the S curve. Probably learned that the first you know year of graduate school, and it's a, a theory states that every business has a lifespan and then there's a long slow growth period a very rapid rise kind of a peak and then there's a long painfully slow decline and if you look at uh, businesses all over the world they seem to do that uh, in, in the states for example uh, Sears is a giant department store it's one of the most venerable brands in the history of America it goes back to the 1800s everybody's got their equivalent of these big department stores well these were the you know the really first guys that that got it. They were the pre WalMarts, the the pre that, and they they just closed their hometown of Chicago where they were started. It was one of those, it was one of the best stocks to own for decades. It was one of the best places in America to work for for probably a hundred years. They paid better. They had great stores, and their hometown was Chicago, Illinois. They just closed their last store in there. They're gone. They're for all practical purposes history. And so, how can you? 
how can you mess a, a brand up like that? And what fails? Well, the S curve. You just if you don't reinvent and and evolve, you will ultimately go away. And right now, most of the major chains, in fact, I'd say all but maybe one, is maybe two are going that path. They're just they're they're, they're beyond. They're over the curve. They're in the long, slow, painful decline. And there's many of them are too big to, to turn. I just had a conversation with one of the industry leaders uh, for uh, Tony DeLead. I just uh, had lunch with him today. The guy ran Fitness First Australia. He's one of the most innovative, creative people in the history of the business. And we were talking in the same conclusion that they're, you know, those those big chains are just their point that they're, they're so big that, and the middle management is so entrenched for so many years that no matter who you put at the top, you can't ever fix them because they just refuse to be fixed. They, they're just going to stick to what they're doing. So on that side, the mainstream gyms that we believe that would be there forever, the domination has gone away, and now there's a new generation of these. And we're just starting to see them in Australia. They're here, but they're not big enough yet. They haven't caused the havoc that they will in the next couple of years are these modern training-centric businesses. They're somewhere 600 meters to, could be up to, well, they could be as small as 300 meters. They could be as big as 1,200 meters. And they pop in, and yet these guys are coming in. They have 350 clients. They do somewhere between $200 to $350 per month per client average. And they just destroy the markets. They, the, the, everybody that used to do training in the mainstream gyms is, is going to those clubs because they, they, they fit the model better. That's a high client spend, though. I mean, is it, does, it, does that work in every market? Oh, yeah, because you're really... There's a pyramid. If you look at a pyramid, and it's it could be low and flat, or it could be tall and pointy. That represents the affluence in any market. So if I'm in a, a southern Australia where the pay isn't so big, and more working class folks, and some of the more you know the labor intensive towns, the, the I might make seventy thousand dollars a year down there and be really really well off. And I could live in parts of Sydney and make seventy thousand dollars and live with three roommates and. You know, and struggle. It's it's so the affluence is situational. The model itself works in any market as long as you control the price to match the influence. So, if you talk, look at a tall pyramid with a tall long peak on it, that would be similar to Sydney, where you've got so much wealth at the top, but there's just every layer of that. And you go out into the the burbs or farther out in the wilderness, so to speak, and then that, that pyramid gets flat because it's um, there's there's fewer people with a lot of money and there's a lot more working class that fill the middle. Well, the model works because we're really basing it on the top 20 to 30% of the market by affluence. So the model is portable as long as you adjust the price and then the rent factor takes care of itself because of the market itself. Okay, so I mean, if you're looking there at the the top of the pyramid, obviously, then you've got the the greater base, the the, the bottom of the pyramid there, which I'm guessing, you know, currently serviced by the mid and lower market clubs, the the box clubs, the cheaper budget clubs. But then you also talked about the, the sort of death of the middle market club and cited 2005 as being a, a key year, particularly in the US, when this kind of started coming about. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? Yes, that's. Uh... In fact, we could do the, we could do an hour just on that question. That was, that was a good question. If you the the thing we forget is what percentage of the population actually belongs to a gym, and that's so we we always when we say the population, we say okay, there's 24 million people in Australia. Well, there's 24 million people, and you know they're they're gym people. There's 24 you know the population, but maybe maybe 15 percent here belong to the 
uh, gyms of any type, and there's you know thousands of those uh, little boot camp things going on beaches and parks everywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the total population totally immersed here, it's probably 15, 16%. So when you look at the bottom end, they're, they're, those clubs do service people with less money, but there's also a certain percentage of people who just never work out. There's never enough money. It's the lower economic folks, the people that just really, literally just don't give a shit about fitness. And so if we if we look at those markets when you're saying, okay, there's a bottom that they're serviced by those gyms, they are to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But what we forget is there's a limited number of those. So the normal business model is, okay, you've got one and you're charging uh, 10 pounds or $10. $10. I forget what country I'm in this week. I was just <laughs> got back from London. So yeah, but dollars, we'll talk dollars. So if you're charging 10 to $15 a week and that's your model, well, most guys will come in and say, look, I'll just cut it short. You know, I'll come in at eight pounds a week and take your market. But the problem is there's not enough guys. We don't, the population, if we're only 15% of all the people there, then you, you're, there's only so many clubs that market will bear chasing the low-hanging fruit or the, 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 the members are looking, they call them value-based. I, to me, they're just cheap-ass clubs. They're, you know, they're, they're in many ways not nice and they're overcrowded usually and bad parking and worn-out equipment. But that said, you go into, so approximately a third of the population or a third of all the people that do work out, they will pay a lot of money not to be in those gyms. You know, it's like the cheap buffet where there's, you know, 5,000 kids in little buggies and they're all screaming and throwing food and stuff. And, you know, the families are eating in there. They love those places. I would rather be shot through the ear with a, with a nail gun than, than to have lunch at one of those places with all those damn kids. But that, that's personal issues. But if you look at that, I, there's a population that will pay a lot of money to buy a very high-end coaching experience. Not so they're they're looking for solutions to problems. They're looking for okay, I'm I have a little more money. I'm one third of the population that does have that a little extra affluence. It's not really what I pay. It's what I get for the money. It's I'm looking for a small intimate facility. I don't care about fake chandeliers and marble counters. But I mean, so what? My my house is nicer than that gym. So that's what they're thinking anyway. You know. So you're you're and nobody likes to work out with three thousand people. So the people, the folks that have influence that are chasing a solution, meaning health for longevity that they, they look at these training gyms and they go, these are the best coaches. They're the most educated coaches. The, the coaching experience is better. There's no cheap people in here at the buffet. Everybody in here paid to get in, so likes attract likes. And that model is disruptive because if you look at a mainstream gym, an old school fitness first, you, know, you might have 4,000 clients in there, but only about 6% of them take any kind of training. So if you're looking at 6% of that, you're looking at, what, 240 people? That's, that feeds most of the gym. That's, that's the number of training clients they might have. Even if they're on fire, they're only going to do 400. So that, you know, so that means 90% of the people are practicing do-it-yourself fitness. So those are the people that leave for these training gyms when the opportunity arises. So do not compete on price. Do not go for the lowest end of the market. It's not sustainable position over time, and that's what we're seeing in the states. The states, it's, it's hard to come in in other countries and say, well, here's what we do in the states because it's it's so arrogant and it's so. But the the thing you can learn from from business in the United States is because of our comp- competitiveness, competitive level, the amount of businesses that try there, the sheer amount of people in our country that we tend to screw things up very quickly. 
So if there's a new model, it has to validate faster than it would in a country like this. It moves a little slower. So it's, we, we tend to try things more often. There's many times more investment capital available, but we also screw things up faster. So what happens there, the trends usually establish themselves in the states, and then they slowly ravel out to you know, other countries as they pick those up. But that window's getting shorter now, and that's what people, I don't think, also, or they should remember, is that there used to be a gap between Australia and the states with coaches of 10 years or more. And now that's not the case. You've got guys over here, young uh, rock stars like Dan Henderson. I mean, this guy's he's hes technically every bit as good as the best coaches we have in America. And he's over here teaching uh, workshops everywhere. I'm shocked how many people don't get this guy. You know, he's just, he, the guy's on fire. I mean, he's, he's an amazing coach over here doing his deal. But that never happened before. You just have to buy that talent from the States to get it here. But now you've got guys here. So that whole window of 10 years behind is bullshit now. Now, now except for the investments, which we'll see in the next three years, I believe, in these two new stocks gyms, everything that you need to be here to have that to establish those gyms exist already. Mm-hmm. I think there's even investment capital here now. So it's going to be a crazy market. So it's definitely, it's coming, it's coming here. And there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. It's going to change. But if I may, I want to step back to one thing because we, we got off on it, why these chains aren't working. There's, you have to look at the, why the, the, the concept of a generalist versus a specialist. And the amazing thing about these old school big gyms, and they, you know, again, Fitness First established here, they were the largest chain in uh, the world. Uh, I believe they had 650, maybe 700 units. When Tony Delead was doing the leadership here, they had 99 units in, in Australia, New Zealand. They were, they were, that was a major player at that point. But if they were built where everybody fit, that I'd have a room for you in the back if you wanted to lift this. I had this room over here if you wanted to dance. I had this room over here if you needed this type of help. And so we just built these big boxes and one size fits all. And the consumer, they don't think like that anymore. They, they specialize. They go, you know, they go to, okay, if I want this uh, high-end makeup, I'll go to a, a Sephora. If I want this high-end clothing, I'll go to the Better Men's store or something like that or just order it online. Mm-hmm. But everybody now, they're... The, the consumers move toward a specialist, and, and enough consumers now are going, okay, this is fitness the way it used to be, but I didn't know anything about it 40 years ago. The consumer today knows more than I did as a professional trainer when I started my career. I, I had no access to anything. Now you can walk through a checkout line at a grocery store, and there's five magazines that have more workouts that are better than I did you know, 40 years ago. You look at Men's Health, you go, well, this is the articles on the training are written by some of the finest coaches in the world. And you look at the magazine going, I never had this resource. So the consumer reads this. They watch sports teams. I was watching Australia football this morning, when I, which is on 24 hours here <laughs> on every station, it seems like. But they, had a, they cut away, and they were showing how these guys were training. And here's guys carrying stuff. They're doing speed drills, but one guy was flipping a kettlebell. You know, there's a guy out there flipping a kettlebell. Well, somebody sitting at home watched that and goes, well, why doesn't my gym have that? All they do is it's a little room in the back, and the consumers know. Who's specializing in this? Who, 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 who does this type of training? So they don't go to the big box looking for the specialty. They go to the specialist looking for the solution or the skill set. Thomas, something else that you've said is your business is a direct reflection of your weaknesses. What exactly do you mean by that? That's a weird thing. I usually, I usually put that as one of the first slides because I, I try to set people up whenever I do a workshop where I, I want them to think for 20 minutes before I actually start trying to change their mindset. I, I have to get them 
internalizing, you know, who am I, what do I do, how do I think about business? So I, I base all my workshops on that. Of all the, the stuff I've thrown up there over the, the years, that one is the one that usually scares people the most. Mm-hmm. Because your, your business can only be as good as your weaknesses. So if you're, if, you're, if you're not good with money, you're a little shy of money. And, and most people, even the people that we think are good with money, that have money, are often not good with money. They might have inherited it or just had that one job or something. But most people, if you don't believe that you're worth it, you self-destruct your business. Well, if I'm going all the way down the bottom level, if I'm a young trainer charging by the hour, and I'm not good about money. My training business, my one man, one band, you know, training thing is, well, I, I'm, I'm really not good. I, I don't know if I'm worth it. So I'll charge $50 and the guy next to me might be charging 90 because he has a stronger belief system because I don't, I have a weakness. I don't believe in money. It's there. And if you scale that up and you're running a company with 500 units and you're that arrogant boss that has to keep control of everybody, keep them down, secondary stuff, but that's a, every, the business is going to reflect that. So your, your business reflects your strengths, but it also amplifies your weaknesses. So it's a real danger to just focus on your strengths, which is what probably a natural inclination for a lot of people is to go, well, this is our area of strength, so we'll focus on this because we we know we do this well, so if we put all our attention on this, we'll do this better. But then you're neglecting the areas that really need your attention. It's what you ignore that usually bites you in the ass Mm. because you go with your strengths. So I might be a great salesperson, and I just think, oh, my solutions, I'll just sell my way out of any type of business. And I might open a lot of businesses based on that premise. But because I don't, understand the backside of the business, I can make a lot of money and then my managers, my real people I trust with my money, because I don't understand, just piss it all away. So because I, that weakness, so people tend to ignore what they don't understand. I, I think the biggest, the, the funniest illustration, when I get probably the most laughs with the workshops is, is I look around the room and there's anybody over 40, I just have them pick up their phone and show me. And it's an iPhone 4 or God forbid a guy's got a flip phone, you know, or something just makes my whole day when those pop up. But, <laughs> and I hear this all the time from owners in their 40s and 50s is, well, you know, I, the social media thing, I'm just not very good at it. And it's like, well, just, you know, F and learn, dude. You know, just go, go figure that out. Hire the kid, hire the genius at the Apple store, pay him 50 bucks an hour to meet you at the coffee shop afterwards and learn. There's no excuse, but because I don't understand it, I tend to ignore it. And it's a weakness, but I, if I just ignore it, it'll go away, and that doesn't. So the mirror, that reflects, when you look in the mirror, who you are, strength and weaknesses, is, is that's the only possibility your business can be. You, the, the business can't surpass who you are. So if you, if, you, if you want to be somebody legendary business person, you constantly have to be attacking, you know, exploit your strengths, but you constantly have to be ex- trying to repair, correct the dysfunction in your weaknesses because it's, and you have to understand, you have to be willing to admit, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to learn. I don't know anything about social media, but you know what? I'm going to hire the kid. That somebody's going to teach me how to do this. So yeah, that, the mirror thing is a pretty good image. But uh, I, I think the final thing to say on it is: no matter how good you think you are, you only can be as good as what's in the mirror. You know, you're, the business can't be better than your weaknesses. So you're going to have to fix those and correct those and fix that dysfunction, or the business will never be anything that you want it to be. Good advice. Another thing that you say, and it probably you know in relation to what we're talking about, the weaknesses of your business, is how businesses often stop growing after a certain period. So they'll go through a successful launch and growth period of maybe three to five years, and then 
they're almost kind of get frozen in time. And this probably goes back to another thing that you've said about the thing that made you successful is the thing that's going to kill you. Is people they successfully launch a business and because they get they get precious about it, and so they then sort of go, well, this worked to this point. I'm not going to change it from now. It's worked for me in the past, and then that failure to adapt is what will actually be their their downfall. Yeah, that's what made you great is a, is the what I usually say is that what made you great is the very thing that often kills your business, because you you get to a certain point where you everything worked. I was good. Mm-hmm. I built this chain. I built this small family business. I I created success, but that's situational, and that's what we forget is okay. In 1985, you built this chain of 15 fitness centers. Mm-hmm. The techniques that we would sell, marketing, advertising, how we hired staff, how we paid them. Well, there's guys now trying to do the same thing that they did then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the analogy is the guy's been, you know, married for 20 years, and now the guy's single. So he has got a big date, and he goes in and he pulls out this leisure suit from the you know back in the day. It looks like a high school prom suit, you know, because now that because it worked. He, you know, the last time he wore that, he got laid. You know, that was 25 years ago, but. God, I'm going out at a date. I get to get the suit out because it worked in the past. Well, people hang on to stuff that they that they've learned that made them successful. So you, the, the the sad thing is that many times that they just it's it's just they literally can't let go of it. If you look at the chains, you look at the the major chains all around the world. They all have the same common flaw: is that all their sales systems are based on technology that's 20 years old. There's still there's still chains which it's I can't even begin to describe how archaic this is, that have their salespeople, today's market, to make 100 calls a day. Who are you going to call? I mean, people don't even have landlines anymore. You know, so who, who the hell are you talking to? But they, because that's the way they did it for the last 20 years, so the guy's got to make his own appointment. So he's got to try to call people. So I, I don't know about you, but how many, how many of those calls are you like on your cell phone a day? And you know, hey, this is, you know, Sammy at the gym. You know, come on in. Get, let's get an appointment set up. Or you want a free 14 days or some kind of. So the, the sales techniques are dated. The marketing is dated. And, but it made them successful back in the day, and they don't understand why the same techniques don't work anymore. So the, the other side of that is, oh, well, let me just regress on that one more time. Is even if you look at major businesses like Palm Pilot was a major company that failed to reinvent. Motorola, I mean, how, world domination with a pager, but why didn't they come out with a phone? It just they just they failed to to let it go to reinvent to get to the next level. Kodak, Kodak, Kodak. How, how could you mess that brand up? They laid off fifty five thousand employees in a three year span in Rochester, and cut it down to a couple thousand people. They still make film. They still make you know there's there but there's there's you know a few hundred guys and peer photographers in the world that still use it for certain occasions. But why why would you not? evolve into a camera or something that would take you there. Who managed that company into oblivion? And so it's if we look at these guys at that level and see how they do it, it's very hard for a lot of local gym guys to realize, okay, I've been real successful with this promotion every year for 10 years, but it didn't work this year. Well, who screwed it up? Well, it didn't screw up. You just you maybe have outgrown it. So the hard side, and this is stuff I have with I do a lot of consulting with very large companies, and this is the ugliest part of that discussion, is sometimes everything that made you good is keeping you from being great or even going forward. But the most important thing to learn from that is sometimes to save a business, you have to destroy it. 
you have to be willing to absolutely destroy everything that you think you know because most of it's probably wrong. It's dated. It's, it's time sensitive. It's, you know, being somebody in the 90s doesn't mean you're going to be somebody in 2020. I mean, that's hard for business owners to do to their own business. So if they kind of, is there a need then for an, a third party to come in and to show them, show them the way? Well, obviously it's not easy because look how many businesses around the world fail. Yeah, how many how many great businesses have there been in Australia in the last forty years, and how many of those are left? You know, there's there's they come and go. They people they they, they run a cycle where they just will fail to reinvent. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the biggest uh, who would be a good example of that Apple, as brilliant as they are, you know, Steve Jobs was gone. How do you reinvent that company? Because he was the creative force. He had the vision. Now you got technicians running it, and that's um, and same thing with uh, Microsoft. So you, you, you lose the creative genius and you put in the, the mechanic, the guy that was your backup, but the guy that ran operations, your COO. And so that these guys come in, Tim Cook at Apple, for example, the challenge on him is how, how do you, he was a, he's a numbers guy. He, is he a visionary? We haven't seen that yet. You know, we haven't seen what phone's coming out, what new product, what, what's going to shake us up. Guys still remember the iPod came out. I mean, that was just, I mean, how unbelievable breakthrough was that? And it died. Somebody's got to reinvent the next cool thing. And so companies, for them to have the vision to realize that what we're on, this path is failing, and then how do we reinvent it? It's like the change. I believe they could be saved. I believe most of them could be restructured. I think there's paths forward for them. But they, they just keep trying to reinvent 1995. They keep throwing the same crap in, same equipment, <laughs> same programming. My, my God, look at aerobics. You know, who's doing aerobics? How old is the average aerobics student? And you look at and all the women coming in the industry now, most worldwide, are, are, they want to be coaches, trainers. They, they're, you know, nobody's lining up to jump up and down in a box. So uh, we had a chain of women's clubs. We just sold the last one uh, just last year. And we, out of those clubs, we, we had a very strong group. It was a 1,400-meter club. It was a very big women's-only unit. Our group exercise program was about 20% of our business, not what it used to be. It was declining. But our average age of our instructors, we had 30-some instructors on the list that would show up and teach, was 52, and then 56, and then 57. The last five years, it just kept going up because and nobody was coming in. And the average age of our students, like, my God, they were always the oldest women in the club because they, they, they've been doing it for 20 years. But we cling to that. Instead of a gym going, okay, it's, this is fading. Let's replace it. Let's get on with this. Let's get out of it. Let's let go of that history. Let's reinvent something and go forward. That's, that's tough. It's, you've got to be brave to do that, and a lot of people aren't. And they don't see it. They don't, they, they'd rather write it down. The last thing I'll say on that, but most people would, it's like a, a hardcore smoker. The, the doctor will say, you're going to die, and they'll go, okay, and keep smoking. And people, I think fear of change is probably, I think most people would rather die than change. I think most business owners, many of them, change is such a scary proposition that they'd rather ride the business down knowing it's failing than actually commit to change and try to save it. Would that partly come from maybe a concern that the change, that is a lack of confidence in the um, the success of the potential change and that if they were to completely flip it on its head, they're going to destroy the business sooner than if they just let it, as you say, you know, die a slow, painful death? The word hope, I, that's, there's always the hope that, okay, it's going to come back. 
you know, they'll, so you start blaming stuff for it. You blame the economy, you blame the, the market has changed, the consumer has changed. And many times you're right, but you didn't do anything about it. So when somebody says, oh, well, you know, my business, it's, it's a little slow now, you know, the, the consumer and all this. Well, okay, dude, you know that. Fix it. Change it now. But a lot of people, they understand it's not working, but it's still, any change disrupts. They just can't do it. They just literally, fitness business itself. How many, how many clients have we gained as worldwide in the last 20 years because somebody said, if you don't change and lose weight, their doctor says this, that you will die. You'll never see your kids graduate from school. You'll never see your grandbabies. If you don't lose weight, you're gonna, you're gonna die. That type of change is usually, that works because it's forced by fear. I've, I've written a couple papers on that, that fear, fear is, the, the, fear is the, the mother of change because the, without fear, nobody ever changes. So a lot of these guys are just not afraid enough. And by the time they get so afraid, then it's almost too late. So they're, they, they start to shake at night, they don't sleep, they get stressed, they see these big chains going down or seeing all this, but you know what? It, the fear isn't eminent enough that it's going to crush the change. But I still, you know, short version of this, I think most people literally would rather ride the business and blame everything and just ride it down, hoping it's going to come back, hoping it's going to change, hoping something's going to bail them out rather than do the work and take the hit and just say, this is going to be painful, but we're going to change it. A very pertinent question that you, you pose is, you know, if you restarted your business today, would you do it the same? And I guess going back to what you've just been saying, yeah, a lot of a lot of business owners, maybe yeah, maybe they do. That is what that, what happens, and that's uh, the downfall. You would hope people would want to reinvent and do that, but if you look at just if, you, if you're a student of business, you don't see a lot of that that reinvention, that innovation. You you see more uh, of the the long term failure. You see it in the chains in the fitness industry. You see it in a lot of the chains that uh, curves. I mean, that's a pretty universal phenomenon that's been around. They, at one peak, I believe they had 11,000 units. They were, a, it, they were a dominant force of nature. I mean, they forced change in the industry because of that 30-minute circuit. A lot of people, oh my God, I've got to have that to survive. The 30-minute thing's going to change everything. Well, it didn't. It's just another one of those temporary things like the, like the 24, uh, 24-7 here, in that, that trend here. It doesn't work. There's no validation for it. But we grab it because we think we have to do it. But if you're looking at, at curves and you're looking at that, how would you would reinvent that? How would you, so somewhere in there, how would you tell the world that you're wrong? That I, I need to, this has to end. You know, everything that we sold these 11,000 units for, how do, you, how do you at that point reposition that in the marketplace and, and tell your 11,000 people, you know, we're, we're going to go through that. They should have done that and saved it, but they wrote it down. They actually did that. So if you started today, you know, this, the question was, okay, you know, if you started today, would you be doing the same thing you've always done? Well, anybody that owns a curve after 10 years, you wouldn't open one of those today. It, it's a business that was, it's the model's like 25 years old now. So there's a few, I don't know, a couple hundred left here in the country maybe, mm-hmm. but you, you certainly wouldn't open that business model again. You, it's, it's senseless. So if you're looking at what you're doing and go, God, no, I would never open this again. That tells you what you own. And so uh, same thing with some of these small, there were like a snap. 
that was a, a, a derivative of a 20, you know, that was a shrunken mainstream gem. I threw it in the, yeah. the I, I put it in the dryer too long. I took a big gem, it shrank, came out as this little 800 meter baby gem, you know, but it's still a little, I'm going to put one in every neighborhood. Well, it's got everything the big gem has. It's just shrunk, smaller. Well, who the hell would open one of those today? I mean, how crazy would you be with that type of business model? It doesn't fit anywhere. So that question to ask yourself is, you know, would you open the same business again? If the answer is not just no, but hell no, you know, what do you own? And when are you going to evolve it? What are you going to let it become? You know, are you going to write it down? Now we're back to the other question. You know, are you going to write it down before you'll change? So, I mean, what makes, I mean, we, you were talking earlier about the, the modern hybrid training gym, which is like the, the new big thing, which, you know, when we're talking about the, the top of the pyramid, that's the kind of the style of, of club that you are saying is you know it's it's going gangbusters in the US right now. That's what's going to be coming here in ten years' time. Will that be obsolete? Will will that be? I mean, nothing lasts forever, as we say. Nothing nothing lasts forever. So, or is there something inherently different about this model that you think can be more sustainable? It'll probably get a little longer lifespan because it's just now taking off. So. If you look at the S-curve, we're just barely up the, the shoot part where it'll go 10 to 12 years, but it'll die and everything. And you take all emotion aside from it, and I'm very emotional about it because I created the concept. So, you know, I might talk to a bunch of clients that were struggling at the time into something new. And I wish I, I wish I could tell you it was a brilliant business plan, but it was more of a survival mode to save a couple of guys. And, you know, let's, let's, put, let's try this. I was like, okay, I got this idea I've been kicking around, but you know, you're the guy that's a little desperate, so try this, son. You know, let's see what we can do, and and it worked. And so I have pride of parentship there, but the, you know, creating that that concept, but it too will die. It'll have to. The S curve never fails. You know, there's at, at some point in there, it'll reach its peak, and something new will come in behind it, and and, and that gym will be obsolete. The technique will be obsolete. The business plan, and uh, so yeah. But I think that's going to be. Probably 12 to 15 year run because we're just really taken off. We'll get that real peak now for probably 10 years because it's just, they were created in 96 and 99, the first two generations of them. Mm-hmm. They really didn't take off until 2005 or so where they started to pick up speed. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, we're really, you know, what, 13 years into it now. Mm-hmm. So another 10 years would take us up over the top of the curve and 12 years, something like that. So there's life in them, but they're really just taking off. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think now it's, they're getting underway, we get 10, 12 years on the peak, just over the top. So, but yes, they, they, they the two will die. Mm-hmm. You know, they all do. Everything changes. Yeah. Something else you also talk about is the PT model in, in, in some of these modern hybrid gyms. Rather than a client always training with the same PT, Having like a, a head PT coach that sort of uh, delegates, so the, the clients come in and they'll be you know allocated a different team member, so they're not always with the same PT. This, this sounds like quite a different kind of uh, approach for people that might be used to uh, a, a kind of you know building a, a relationship with one trainer. What's the sort of advantage in this model? If you if you ask, okay, so I build a relationship with the trainer. You know, I've got this special. He's my client. If where did that come from? you think about it there's no real business reason behind it even as a training motivational tool there's no business thing behind it because no rationale because if you and I become friends and you're my client I'll just push on you less yeah you hate push-ups so every time I won't argue with push-ups with you I'll just make you do something else you want the client won because we've had a relationship I won't do what's necessary a more sophisticated way to do it is to establish a team leader which is usually your head trainer 
And so you come in, I'm like, okay, hey, I'd like you to, you know, let, let's look at what you're doing. Good. Here's what I see. Here's what we can work on. I think you're going to be brilliant in small group. And you know what? I don't, what well, you're going to say, gee, Tom, you're really patient and kind. Can I work with you? Oh, no, Ollie, here, we, we don't do it that way. We have a team. Uh, we're a little more sophisticated than the other gyms. We have a team leader, which is me. Then we have a number of uh, very, very excellent master coaches. And we're all going to look at you because we feel that different sets of eyes are always going to be able to, to take you to as far as you need to go. One person may miss something. All of us to get, combine with our you know, 50 years of plus experience, it's, it's, much, it's a much better approach. And how, how do clients respond to this? The clients, they, we, the people that complain most about it are trainers that have their own stables because they, they, they think that something's going to be taken away, it'll be lost. And so they, they have their own bunch of, you know, they've got their 30 clients and they book their appointments and it feeds them and they're happy and that's what they do. And which again, is so, so 2000, you know, so last century. So if you're owning one of these gyms, one, the, the, on the business-wise, the clients do get results. You know, that should be your business plan. Maximum results, maximum number of clients, shortest period of time. Well, nobody's built a gym based on that. That's what you should build a gym on. So if you're coming as the client, it's not about me, the coach. It's about us getting you what you're paying for. Maximum results, shortest period of time. So you're standing in front of me. Okay, you know, if I can look at it with one guy, well, this guy's got a weakness or he doesn't connect with you or something. I, I, I'm not doing my job as an owner to take care of you. I've got me and four coaches and we're looking at you. Okay, now we're going to team you. So when you come in, you're going to have a different coach every time. We're going to have, or not every single time, because small gyms, you're still going to see two or three guys often. But we're still going to rotate through. I'm not guaranteeing you any coach by any name, and we're just going to take different shots at you, and we're going to keep you going. What we're going to do is control what happens to you, and we're going to do that as a team. We talk about you as a team. A couple times a month, we get together, talk about the clients. How can we help you? How can we improve you? That's our team approach. And, and to me, as being in this so many years, it's such a more sophisticated way to look at the clients because it's about the clients, not about the trainer who's trying to protect his stable. And that's we get caught in that. Pushing beyond your comfort zone, I guess, keeps everyone on their toes, right? Yeah, uh, theoretically, yeah. But we got to get the owners thinking that way first. The coaches will come along later. <laughs> the good thing about the coaches is actually you get stability. You make, you know, you, you're, you're part of a bigger plan. And uh, if the gym makes more money, you're probably going to last longer. So a lot of guys hate it because they're going to take those 30 clients and go open their own gym someday is what they're really thinking many times, sadly. But the team approach protects the owner that you can do that, but it also gets the best for the client. The client stays longer and pays longer. Everybody wins. What else do Australian club owners need to be on the lookout for? What's on the horizon? Any threats or opportunities? Threats first. I think the market... The next five years, we're sitting at maybe 4,600 units here, not counting all the, you know, park, little old-school boot camp guys. So I'd say in the next five years, I expect that even in a market that's only 24 million people, I expect that to more than double. And any time, you know, we'll end the same way we started. Any time there's chaos, which I think the industry is really upside down now because the chains are failing, old-school aerobics is fading, dying, Everything that we thought fitness used to be is starting to go away. The renegades of the mid, you know, early 2000s, like CrossFit, they're, they're starting to fade. You know, you see those, uh, those, those guys are moving on, closing. You know, the, the just everything runs a course. But right now, there's a new kid in town, which is going after the training-centric model. And anytime there's chaos, there's opportunity. So the, the final thing I think I would tell everybody in Australia is push. 
Thomas, thank you so much for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast today. If anyone wants to find out anything more about you and what you do, where can they go? If you want to come to the States and you're attending a workshop, start with the Perform Better site. That's Perform Better. They're an equipment supplier. They're an enormous company. They manage my tour through all their nonsense. They're, they do 150 of their own units, education around the country. So come find me there. It's under the National Fitness Business Alliance, and it's a two-day workshop. I usually have uh, three or four of the best coaches, meaning the most financially successful coaches in the world, teaching for me in any given time. So they tag along, teach. I do most of the workshop. That's a good place to start. Thomas Plummer, Public Figure, Facebook. I write insanity on there a lot. I write life and business, and I just I, I have a great time with it. I've been very blessed with a lot of fun followers there. So that's a good place to start if you just want to tune in one day and find some stuff. Got a new book coming out called Soul of the Trainer. That's coming out soon. And final, the Making More Money in the Fitness Business. That's my most recent business book. It has the entire business platform that you would need, and it's self-contained. You can you could pick it up, read it at home, and it would help you change your business now because pricing structures in there, ideas, training stuff, how to use the assessor, how to sell all this stuff, everything we briefly talked about today is in there. Everything that's in my workshops comes in that book, so that book's a good self-thing. That's available on Amazon, but it's about 400 pages. It's not a great ebook. It is better if you can get it as a hard book. So final thing, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Greatly appreciate it. I know you're busy. You've been chasing everybody down. I was late for this today, so I apologize <laughs> for that. But thank you for your persistence and thank you for what you do. And you, you're making an impact out here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Thomas. Really appreciate it. To grow the success of your fitness business, learn from the industry experts in Network's online course, Tactical Strategies for Fitness Business Success, accredited for CECs and other professional development points. Go to the Network website, select the Courses tab, and click on Fitness Mastery Series. Members of Australian Fitness Network save 25% on this course, so go to fitnessnetwork.com.au to grow your fitness business. And for face-to-face learning, remember that network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention.